I'm just saying I can't wait for Sunday to come. I hope you feel the same way. It's just good to sing God's praise in God's house and, uh, and to listen to his word. And even as we read uh, these things, uh, we appreciate those who lead us in worship. Yes? Thank you so much for that. And also, I want to say Troy is, is absent today. He's uh, at home sick. And I told him, don't come and give that to me, right? So, so uh, that's where he is. Uh, we hope you get to feel better if you're listening in, Troy. We're going to read today from Colossians. We've kind of been on a series of sorts uh, since the beginning of the new year under that theme of, of, of faith focus and the meaning of life. And we talked about that in different ways. I want to talk uh, to you today from chapter four of Colossians under that theme of invigorated faith. I think we all are keenly aware that when we talk about, about energy and invigoration, we're talking about two sides in many ways of the same coin. Uh, to be invigorated is to be filled with life and energy. To invigorate is to give vitality, is to refresh, it is to animate, it is to bring life to a situation. That's what that is about. And, and, and we could put it just the other way around, maybe to put it in relief in a, in a different way, simply by saying when something is truly life-giving, it brings energy and vitality, does it not? It just does. So without invigorating freshness, uh, without the kind of life-giving power that comes from that, life easily becomes flavorless, monotonous, indifferent, maybe even sleepy. Drowsy. You know, there, there, there's something going on in our lives as human beings. We need that kind of, of challenge, right? To find the inspiration to try new exploration. So that we can think about things in new ways and be refreshed in our inner being and attack and approach things in ways that have kind of died out in a sense. We need to find the sources that refreshes us, that adds a deep sense of purpose and meaning to life. And that's true of life in general. I'm not even talking about just faith. Faith has it the same way, but think about your life in general. And, and it's not even a Christian thing. If you sit there thinking, what in the world? it is exactly true of your life. Without that kind of invigorating freshness, things just become flat and dull. And if that's true of life, that is true of faith in particular. When you think of faith, faith is, is not just a noun that names things that, that has to do with certain kind of conviction we might hold. Faith is a verb that, that expresses what it is and who it is that invigorates our life. That's true of faith in the broader sense of that term, and it's specifically true of faith as we call it Christian faith. We are 
just good at separating things. We have our private lives here. We got our work life here. We got our public life here. We got our faith life here. We separated things into categories where they don't belong. Everyone who has studied just the smallest things, even about leadership stuff, will know that life doesn't come in compartments. We have one life, and if we learn anything for the three years of COVID, right, or even for the first, you know, year and a half, when it was really intense, and people had to work from home, and they couldn't go to work, and everything was turned upside down, what did we learn? Well, when we suddenly could come back, all of us, we have realized that there are a whole lot of folks that are rethinking their lives. What was I doing? What was I doing thinking that I could just get up in the morning Leave my home, stay away for all day, spend a long time commuting, come home, figure something out that didn't bore me to death before I went to bed and did the same thing the next day. And all of a sudden they thought, hmm, I can integrate my life far more than that. It is possible for me to be at home, to do my job or to do a different job to look for my kids and to, to know who my spouse is and to be around and, and, know, and, and just integrate. Things cannot be separated. So all of a sudden, things look different, yes? I'm not saying anything that we don't all know. But it does relate to faith because churches should have known that for decades, really. We, the churches have been talking about the nuns and those who are kind of not seeing the need for, for doing all these things with church because that's just another task to do. Things must integrate. Faith is the exact same way. If faith or even church life is an add-on to life itself rather than the very thing that invigorates life and brings life, it would always be something that instead of being an energizer becomes a task. Don't mishear this, friends. I'm saying this with the greatest love and the greatest warmth, but it's just an expression of reality. And the Bible speaks about this all the time. What seems to be now newness from the workplace, right, from the marketplace, uh, is what the Bible has said all the time. But we have a way when the Bible says and speaks about how faith in God should invigorate every aspect of our being in our daily life. We have a way of speaking about the big ideas like faith and grace and salvation. And as we put Christ up there and out there, To just take care of the big problems of the universe. We are missing the power of the moment because we have not seen how these big things like faith and salvation and grace integrates and matters to the way we live life. Yes. 
That it speaks to the way we do family. It speaks to the way we do our homes. It speaks to the way we do our neighborhoods. It speaks to how we understand loneliness. How we understand stress. How we understand the complexity of the kind of society we live in at the moment. How we understand addictions and love and all of, all of these things in life. Yes? Don't miss the power of this. We cannot just send Christ up there and out there and lose the power of what faith is all about. That faith which energizes your daily life and transforms the tasks of the everyday into something different. When we separate these things, everything becomes flat, drowsy, both your life and your faith. And so please hear when, when we turn to this text and, and look at this, right? The way back to a genuine, invigorated faith is a life in an immediate and close relationship to Christ where we surrender every relationship, every situation, every task, every difficulty to him. He alone is the one who can heighten Oh, every day. Who can bring a fresh wind and a new vision to all that happens? Can you let that happen even today? Think about this. How would you listen to a text that we're going to share today with this in mind, without just relegating that to some box in your mind that has to do with religion? But think about this as a conversation, if you will, a word from God about your life and all the things that relates to that. Just imagine this. I think most Christians will know that, that when you surrender things to Christ and you allow him to work and you suddenly see him do a work in your life that is not just something you kind of orchestrated, but it, clearly he was doing it. It creates a joy, a joy you have to share. And then when you share it with others, it becomes even more strong. We get updated daily with new experiences of life. So here's how Paul writes to the church in Colossae. Just five short verses that sets everything and puts everything in focus. He says to them, here's the last chapter he's writing. Now, chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person. Five very concise, packed verses on how you find a pattern of invigoration for your faith. 
There's so much here to think about. First thing that I can't help but to wonder when I read a text like that, I ask the question about the author. What made him such a magnetic and dynamic person? What was it? And I think the answer is found exactly in what we suggested earlier, that he lived in this very close daily dependence upon Christ. From the moment when he came to faith and to this moment he was, what? A man on the move for the master. How's that for three M's, right? A man on the move for the master. That's who he was. That's how we know him. Every person for Paul that he met was for him a potential child of God. Every complex situation that he faced was for him an opportunity to learn what is the situation here that I can learn more about Christ and how he works in my life and through my life. He was just brazenly bold in in so many ways, in, in dangers and in conflicts. He had nothing to lose. He belonged to Christ. Think about that for a moment. What do you have to lose? Now, we're all concerned at times, right? But what do you have to lose? You know, we get, we get kind of bent out of shape because people say something to us they shouldn't have said or they step on our toes or they, you know, yeah? Now, here's Paul. Five times. I received the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, Toil and hardship, many sleep at night, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. For me to live is Christ. Beaten with rods, for me to live is Christ. What do I have to lose was his question right here. And so that is his secret also for invigorated life, not just invigorated faith. There was a direct context that came with this. And so this this, uh, chapter or these five verses fall into two kind of groups. The first three verses speaks to us about how, well, Paul is training us to understand how God, uh, to speak to God about people. And the last two verses on how to speak to people about God. So let's look here, friends, to just see what's going on with some of this. Notice here that he starts by talking to the church about how to speak to God, about people. And of course, before we can do any of that, we need to have our own relationship to Christ clarified. You can't speak to God about other people without first speaking to him about yourself. So he begins by this. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourself 
to prayer. And that's a kind of a, an interesting terminology here that he's using. That word speaks to persistency. It speaks to that which makes you busy. This which takes up your time, if you will, where your focus is, that which captivates your heart and your mind and your soul. That's what he's saying. That kind of devotion needs to be given to your prayer. There's a there's an example uh, that we will see. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18 about a widow. She was a nobody, really. That's the point of the parable. And there was a judge, and she wanted him to give her justice. And he didn't even look her way. And she kept coming back, and she kept coming back, and she kept coming back until finally he said, I just have to look her way. That's the illustration of persistency. And then he speaks about alertness. And I always wondered what that really was. Why is he bringing that up to the church? Be alert or stay alert. It is as if he is kind of reminding them that they have become drowsy. They're not paying attention, that they need to be specific in their prayers. Every little sleeping person can kind of rattle off some words about God blessing the whole world. You know, things are not good. Bless it all. But be specific is what he's saying. Be alert. Pay attention to what is going on. The kind of prayer that is born out of a deep, genuine care for other people. An engagement that allows you to know what it is you pray for so that you can pray a concrete prayer and anticipate a concrete answer. You know, we're fuzzy. Christians excel in fuzziness, yes? Hey, I'm one of them. We're just fuzzy. We talk about discipleship. Now, what does that mean? Have we even clarified that? Well, if you are, have you grown in your faith? Most people want to say yes, yes. And I ask, so what does that mean? How do you know? Well, you know, what does it mean? And what are you saying now you didn't used to say? What do you stop saying that you used to say? What are you doing now you didn't used to do? Or what are you, are you hear me? We're not very clear. On these kinds of things. Yes? It is just here. He says, stay alert. Be engaged so that you can pray specifically and concretely about these things. And that is an exhortation that he brings to them like that. Their faith has just become a thing. They were no longer truly alert. And there could be many reasons for that. But what he is saying here is you're losing out on the life-giving power where your faith is what energizes and brings brings new life to your faith and to your life uh, rather than just being something. Don't hear mishear this, friends. It's just so easy just to kind of run with it. One of the most difficult passages I think we might have in Scripture to understand how this works is just a few days, a few hours actually, before the crucifixion of Christ. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with his disciples. It's the biggest crisis they've ever faced in his life and in their life. 
And he goes away to pray and he said, please stay alert with me. Pray as I go over to pray. And we hear this intense prayer from Jesus where his sweat turns into blood, really intense. And he comes back and the disciples are asleep. It can be difficult sometimes to have and live with this kind of alertness, to pay attention to the moment that we will actually be able to pray concretely. But when it happens, new life is coming. Faith becomes life-giving and everything is good. And then he speaks, of course, to, to how uh, we should do that in, in, in the atmosphere. Right? He had already spoken to, to us doing it diligently and, or persistently and devotedly and, and needed to be alert. And then he said, but do it all in thanksgiving with gratitude. For what? Gratitude that you are called to be his child. Gratitude that he listens to you when you pray. Gratitude that he shows you grace when you don't deserve it. Gratitude. That's the atmosphere in which all of this is brought to God. We see that so much will change, friends. It's hard to imagine sentences that are more packed than this. And then look at what he's doing. He has just spoken about the how. How do you pray? And then he says, well, what should you pray about? And he asks for prayer, for an opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for me, Paul says, that God will open a door for the word. He asks for intercession, that he will be able to Share the gospel. Are you hearing this? I know what I would have prayed for. Lord, open the prison doors. I can get out. (laughs) It's not that he didn't want that. You see the last sentence of the whole letter. He says, don't forget my chains. But what is really important here is that he sees God has put him here. This is my situation right now. How is God going to use that? Even if I'm thrown in jail, that does not release me from the charge and the challenge that came when I became a child of God. And that is to go therefore into everywhere to make disciples, even behind prison doors. Yes. Oh, I would have prayed so differently than that. Unfortunately, that's probably the truth, right? But Paul saw it clearly. You know, the difficulty here is even enhanced by the fact the reason he was there in the first place was that he had shared the word. Yes? And still, he said, I need to see an open door right here. Pray for me that that would happen. That is that connection, friends, between the real life, I'm behind bars, and faith, God has put me here for every moment of this reality. And that invigorated him and gave him the power to do what we read about earlier about him sustaining all these other difficulties. Not even in prison did he separate life from faith. There was nothing to lose. To the contrary, there were a lot of folks to be one for the gospel. 
And that's the way that he was permeating uh, his life with the way he thought about so many things or all things. When he's in in Ephesus, he says, I'm going to stay here till Pentecost. You can read that in the book of Acts. I'm going to stay here till Pentecost because God has opened up a huge door for me, although there are all kinds of opposition. There's a door open. Or when he gave to Troas. And I say, I'm here. And the Lord has opened doors for my work for him. Always looking at how can my faith bring new life into the situation that is here. And so, how are we going to go about that? It's not easy. Some of us think, you know, for some people, sharing the faith is easy. For me, it's just hard. It's never easy. It wasn't easy for Paul. Just imagine this. He was thrown in jail for speaking about certain things, and now he's going to convince other people that what he was thrown in jail for is the right thing for them to do also. (laughs) Not easy. But he puts it very clear. Pray, Paul says. That God will give me the right words, as they should be, to share the mystery of Christ. That's it. Prison guard, the fellow prisoners, all of them, God has suddenly put on him the opportunity, like he has on you, to share the gospel where only he could, and now where only you can. In your situation, your friends, your neighborhood, your workmates, who, who you surround yourself with, there's an opportunity. And Paul says that's what it is. Invigorated, invigorated faith does not uh, shy away or get pushed back by difficulties. So, but let me end by, but with this, friends. I was just so, when I looked at this text, I said, I can't believe he packed that much into these few words. So he's speaking to us now about how to talk to other people about God. And he begins by saying here uh, in verse 5, act wisely toward those who are outsiders. That is, share with wisdom. It's not easy. Your speech should always be so that it is helpful. That's what it is. Use the opportune moment. Some translations have it like that. That is the word from the marketplace, right? It speaks directly. The same word you use if you say, you know, what is the best time to make this deal? That's the word he's using right here. Speak in such a way that you utilize the best moment. You know, that moment is not a certain time of the year or a certain kind of mood. That moment is only there if you engage with people. When you get beyond talking about the score of the last game or what you like about this or that or the other, that doesn't make any flip difference, yes? Enormous amount of time we can spend on on things that have very little true significance. But those that you engage with, if you spend more time to kind of get under that, Not just share the latest movie, but share the struggle. Listen 
And when people hear that you care and you're interested and you really have them on your mind, you will see opportunity and opportunity. That's what Paul is hinting at right here. Use that moment where the door gets open because you genuinely care for people. Now, last point. And then I'm going to end with this. He says here in the last verse, right? Let your speech always be gracious. Always be gracious. And let it be seasoned with salt so that you may know. Always gracious. Always winsome. What he's talking about here is that we are loving, caring, friendly, warm, inviting people who speaks with that joy, if you will, with that depth, if you will, from our own walk with God. No one has any interest in coming to Christ just because you can expound on some kind of view that you have that you find agrees with your reading of Scripture. Yes? No one comes to Christ by knowing about this conviction over this conviction or this president over this president or this opinion over this opinion, whatever that might be. What Paul is saying right here, don't miss this. This is so clear that the speech that he's after is the one that wins people to walk with Christ. The speech that through our warmth and our friendliness, our our embrace and our welcoming and inviting spirit speaks with such conviction that it moves people from being eternally lost to becoming eternally saved. From, the, from a life without God to a life with God. Pray for me, Paul says, that I may be able to share the mystery of Christ in this situation. That is, God sent his son to make it possible for these folks, even these prisoners, to know God and to walk with him. Can we hear this? Can we hear this as a warm call from God? This is who he wants us, me, you, the individual, and all of us to be. Wow. That's the text for him to write to a church in Asia Minor right as he is ending up. Can I, can I challenge you this way? Can we do an experiment? Maybe you can do an experiment. Let's do this. We can all do that for one week. Okay, so here it is. Find a friend, Christian friend, spouse, good friend, one from your Bible study group, someone you know, a good friend. Get together with them today and decide that this next week, this one week, we will stay alert. To every opportunity that God gives us. We will stay alert in a special way and pray very concretely that God will open doors for us. To share the faith and to see his hand. One week. And kind of stay together on this thing. Share great victories. Share the things that you've been. And then next Sunday, one week from now. See if you have not seen God's hand work. In a special way. Just a week of 
keen alertness, a week of keen commitment, one week of asking for open doors and the Spirit to speak rightly, wisely, and warmly about the kingdom of God. Yes? I ask you to make that commitment in your heart right now. We're going to spend a moment here, if you see in your bulletin, right, to pray. And I don't want it just to be an all the call, although I would love for those who are coming to Christ. Maybe if you're sitting at home, this is the time just to type an email. You can find the, the bulletin that we also have here. You can find that online. Just shoot us an email or give us a phone call, leave a message, whatever it is. Uh, those of you who are, are there, uh, you see also, who are here, I mean, you see also uh, in that worship guide just a little box for you to write. Here's what God said to me today. Not a whole sermon note. You may have that other places, but just a note. This is what God called me to do today. And so those of you who want to join the church, this is a good time to come forward. Those of you who want to, you, who, those of you who want to give your life to Christ, this is a great time. But all of us, I want us to stand and to pray together. Can we do that? And some of you may want to come here to kneel. Some of you may want to come and and grab someone's hand to pray with them, whatever it is. Let's pray for a moment. Ask God to be with us in strong ways. I'm not going to lead. I'm going to ask you to pray. There might be someone you want to pray with. Do that. We're going to spend a few minutes worshiping God individually and together.